stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. At the end of chapter 9, we saw that Peter was in Joppa, staying with Simon a tanner. Now we come into verse 1, chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us through his word this morning. Father, we are grateful for your son Jesus. We are grateful for the gospel Father, my prayer for my own heart this morning would be the, the same as my prayer for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that, that I would love the, the story of your son Jesus, that I would love Jesus, and that that love would, would compel me, joy, joyfully compel me to proclaim that story to others. Give us boldness, we pray, as we think about our, our tasks as evangelists, and we pray this in your son's name, amen. When I was a child, I was a very fast reader. It's, I've gotten a little slower as my eyes have, aren't, aren't quite as good as they used to be. But I can remember being a kid and maybe in the evening I'd be reading and my mom and my dad would be reading as well. And I'd just be kind of skimming through a story really quickly because I get so engrossed in, in the plot that I, I wanted to see how it end. And so I can remember I'd, I'd be flipping through a book and my, my dad would look at me and he'd say, there, there is no way that you're reading that fast and, 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 and retaining what you're reading. And he'd be right. I, I would sometimes find myself getting to kind of toward the end of the story and I'm flipping through, trying to get through. And, and then I'd, I'd say, wait, who's that? What's that guy's name? And I'd flip back. Oh, right, right, the main character. Okay. And then, you know, just keep going. You know. Oftentimes I... And it's harder now that I read on Kindles, but, you know, I'd, I'd lose the thread of a story and, and have to go back. So, oh, okay, right, right, right. And then I'd do that, and the beauty of the story would, would get revealed again. Oh, what, what, a, what a wonderful story. This morning, 
we're talking about two guys who, who lose or don't understand a little bit of, of the story. They, they lose the, a plot thread. They don't understand what God is doing. One of those men is Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius doesn't understand the fullness of God's story of, 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 of redemption. And Cornelius needs to be told, okay, look, here's the fullness of God's story of redemption. Here's who Jesus is. And, and here's how you, Cornelius, can be a part of God's plan of redemption. Peter is another guy in the story who is confused and is going to need God's special revelation because he has, has lost an important plot thread of God's story of redemption. Uh, Peter forgets that it's, it's not just God's plan to save the Jews. A person doesn't need to be brought into God's, God's chosen people, the Jews, and then become a Christian. God's plan is ultimately to reach the nations. And the Jews were, were part of that story, but they're not the fullness of the story. And God is, in this week and in the future weeks, God's going to have to say, no, 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 here, let, me, let me remind you, here's the beauty of my, my gospel plan. And, and Peter's going to have to be reminded of that reality. My guess is that many of us at times have, have lost part of the threads of, of the plot of God's story of redemption. And this week and in the weeks to come as we talk about evangelism, my, my prayer, my hope is that we're, we're reminded of the beauty of God's plan. And as we're reminded about the beauty of this plan, that our, our hearts within us are, are compelled to, to proclaim this story. In fact, here's the main idea that I want just to begin thinking about this morning. It's, it's this. The beauty of God's plan to welcome worshipers compels me to evangelize. When I say the beauty of God's plan to welcome uh, worshipers, really we're talking about the beauty of God himself. The, the God whose mission is to glorify his name by proclaiming his gospel to the, to the nations, to, to bring in people from every tribe and tongue and nation to worship him. That's a, a beautiful story. And, and perhaps you and I have, have lost sight of the thread of that story and the plot in our own lives and what God would call us to do and where he's placed us. And again, my hope would be that as, as we talk about this together, that your, your heart would be warmed within you and say, okay, that's That's right. That's the beauty of God. This plan reveals a beautiful God who, who brings in worshipers, including me, and, and now my desire would be that God would use me to proclaim this story to others. That's, that's where I fit into this story. I hope that you, you capture that with me. We're going to be looking at six truths about God's plan to, to save Cornelius Six truths about God's plan of redemption for Cornelius and your friends. I want to, to bring you into that story as well as we look at Cornelius and these truths about God's salvation of Cornelius. I want you to see your, yourself in that as well. Okay, this is, this is about Cornelius, but Luke didn't tell us this story just to have us understand some things about Cornelius. God has, has let us know this story so that we could understand where we fit in the story of God's redemption and our task of proclaiming this gospel to our, our friends, neighbor, spouse, sibling, parent, co-worker, the others in our life who are not yet worshipers of God. So let, let's, let's talk through these. Here's the first thing I want us to see as we look at the, the story in Acts. Number one, 
Cornelius' salvation and, and your friends was planned and certain in eternity past. What, what does that mean? Look at the text with me, if you would. And we're going to go a little bit beyond just Acts chapter 10 and, and think about the narrative of Acts as a whole. In fact, turn over a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 13. As we look at the broad story of the book of Acts, we see that it's God's, God's predestined plan to bring people to salvation. Ephesians 1 talks about how God in eternity past had, had proclaimed and, and planned our are being brought into his family as his, as his sons and daughters. And what we see in the book of Acts is that as the apostles engage in gospel proclamation, part of the, the foundation of their assurance is the fact that God's in control of this, that God has a, a plan, a plan that was made in eternity past and is, it was a certain in eternity past, and they see themselves as, as operating in, in obedience to that plan. In fact, we're in Acts chapter 13, we're in Antioch and Pisidia, and this is what Paul says in verse 47. He says, The Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation, where? To the ends of the earth. And he says that, and it's not just the Jews that are hearing Paul say that. It's Gentiles, and how do the Gentiles respond? Look at the text. It says, verse 48 of Acts 13, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began, that, that they were part of God's plan for salvation, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And then listen to this, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. What, what does that phrase mean? That word appointed refers to someone who is in charge, putting something in in place, organizing something. So you're a, you're a commander and you, you, you appoint some things, you organize, you, you put people in place. God is, is sovereign over redemption. He, he predestines, he appoints. He says, okay, the, these are the people that are, I'm going to bring into relationship with me through faith in my son, Jesus Christ. That there's appointment. Now there's an obvious tension here. Paul had to proclaim the gospel. People had to respond to the gospel. But as Paul proclaims the gospel, as he, he takes upon himself the, the human responsibility, he does so with a confidence that, that God is in control, that the people whom he's proclaiming the gospel to, their salvation was, was planned and certain in eternity past. Another passage, Acts chapter 18. Listen to what the Lord says to Paul in Corinth. He says, in verse 10, I'm with you. Well, let me start verse 9. The Lord says to Paul, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid about the opposition you're going to encounter. Don't be afraid about how people are going to get upset and what, what they're going to do to you. Don't, don't be afraid. I, I'm with you. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have, love this phrase, I have many in this city who are my people. Paul, God says, look, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be worried about the, the opposition you're going to face. Keep on doing what you're doing because I have appointed people who, who are my people, and as you proclaim the gospel, I'm going to bring those people to me. Now, how does this help you and me? It gives us certainty. It gives us confidence that our, 
our labor is not in vain, that these things can take place. I, uh, I resonated with something Pastor Ben said a couple weeks ago as, as he was talking about coming in here and thinking through his message. I don't think I've, I've publicly shared this before, but whenever I was on staff at Bethany Baptist Church, what I would do on weeks that I had to, to preach, and especially the first couple times, I was, I was so nervous about having to do that. And um, if, if you know me, you know I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit of a planner. You know, I want to make sure that, that things, uh, things go well. And so what I, what I would do is I would, I would sneak into the building, like really, really late at night, and I would, I would sit on the front pew, and I'd pull out my notes, and then I would practice walking from the, where I was going to be on a Sunday morning, walking up, standing, putting out my notes, and, and, and going through the message. And if I, if I stumbled at any point, or if I kind of started talking and realized, oh boy, I, this is going nowhere, or just some sense, I was like, okay, start over. I'd sit back down. I would do it like a dozen times or whatever, you know, just because I wanted to be confident that I could, could get through it. Now, now I know that I can stutter and whatever, you know, you guys are just going to um, deal with it um, because you're very gracious. But uh, I, I needed that confidence. I needed to know, okay, is it theoretically possible? Is it theoretically possible that I can get up and talk for 45 minutes and not fall flat on my face, literally or figuratively, right? Now, with, with salvation, there's, there's certainty there's confidence in our efforts. We, we know that we can be successful. There are people in your life, I believe, who are not yet saved, but that God is appointed for eternal life. I believe it should be our, our confident expectation as we go through life that we are surrounded by people who are not yet worshipers of God, but, but God has appointed for eternal life, and, and God will not let our efforts be in vain. There, there are two crystal clear convictions that I, I think we can have confidence in. One, I'm supposed to share the gospel. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know what sort of opposition I'm going to face. I don't know how people are going to respond. But I'm confident. I, I know with crystal clear certainty because of God's divine revelation that has told me I'm to be a witness. God has, has placed me where he's placed me so that I can be a witness for him. And then I, I also have a, a confident expectation that all those that God has appointed for eternal life will respond to the, the gospel message. I have a human responsibility, but ultimately I can take confidence in the fact that God will do what God is going to do. As Jesus said in John chapter 10, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Cornelius' salvation and your friends was planned and it's certain from eternity past and that can be an incredible confidence for us as we go about the task of evangelism. Here's the second thing I want us to think about. Touch upon this kind of quickly because we'll talk about it more next week, hopefully. Cornelius' salvation and your friends was promised in the Old Testament. Peter has lost an important part of the thread of God's plan of redemption. He, he's forgotten that the, the Scriptures revealed that God's plan was to, to bring all the nations into worship of him. In other words, the... 
Peter and his Jewish mindset had, had thought, okay, God exists for the Jews, and so if someone wants to come to, to faith in Jesus Christ and they're not a Jew, that's great. Become a Jew, recognize the, the rightness of the Jewish faith, and then you can recognize Jesus as the Messiah. What, what Peter's forgotten is that missions is not something that starts in the New Testament. God's plan to reach the nations has been revealed throughout the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 12, what does God tell Abram? He says, he's making this covenant with him. He says, I'm going to bless you, and, and through you, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. All, all the nations are going to receive blessing through you. It's, it's the, the mission of God to, to do missions, to bring in other worshipers to know his name. Exodus 19, what are the people told? As, as they're brought out of slavery, God tells them, look, I'm, I'm making you a kingdom of priests. I'm, I'm setting you apart, yes, but the purpose of setting you apart is not just so that you can exist and be my special people. And everyone talk about, well, how great they are. It, it's, it's so that you would proclaim the gospel to the other nations. You'd be a, a mediator between me and the nations. Psalm 87 is this, this beautiful psalm where people from, you know, the Philistine, the Ethiopian, these people come in from, from different ethnicities and they come into the gates of Jerusalem and they're, they're, they're declared to be, have, have been born there. And so there's this picture of God welcoming the worshipers. You come into First Kings and Solomon is dedicating the temple. And, and as he prays this prayer of dedication for the temple, he mentions the foreigner. He talks about the foreigner is going to hear of your name. The foreigner is going to hear of your great name, and they're going to, to come here, and they're going to worship you, hear their prayers, and respond to them. Cornelius' salvation was not some new part of the story that God is, it's not some plot twist. The, the nature of how God was going to save the nations, that wasn't fully revealed. Certainly, the name of Jesus wasn't known, but by name, but the idea that God was going to save the nations through his Messiah, that was crystal clear. Third thing, again, kind of quickly here, Cornelius' salvation in your friends was anticipated in Acts 1.8. Peter and the other apostles should have seen this from Jesus' words that set up the entire rest of the book. You will receive Power, says Jesus in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We need to grasp where Peter is in the story. He, he's in an Acts 1.8 world where his, his task is to proclaim the gospel. You and I need to realize where we are in the story. We are in an Acts 1-8 world where we have been called by God to proclaim the gospel. Peter is not going to grasp that. We're going to see that the obstacles he faces next week. But what God is doing right now is revealing that reality to him. Here's, let's go a little bit deeper into this, this text, these 16 verses first eight verses deal with Cornelius, the next eight verses deal with Peter. Here's the, the next thing I want us to see. Number four, Cornelius' salvation and, and your friends, your, your spouse, your grandparent, your neighbor, your co-worker, a person that you've just met, their salvation, it, it requires common grace. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Look at these first couple of verses. 
It says at Caesarea, and, and Caesarea was this, this place, would have been like a provincial capital, it was a capital of this, this province, had a high Gentile presence, and Cornelius as a Gentile is, is there. It says that he's a centurion, so he was like a, a captain. He had a oversight of a group of about 100 soldiers, and the cohort would have been about 600 soldiers. So he has this, this authority. And the text tells us that he is a devout man. Now, it says he feared God. He's, he's what we call in the book of Acts a God-feared. A God-feared is someone who was not a Jew. They were a Gentile. But they had responded in some way to the Jewish faith. And this was not incredibly rare. Oftentimes, you would have these Gentiles come into this region, and, and they'd be drawn to Judaism. They would be drawn to, to maybe the morality of the Jewish life. They would be kind of disgusted by the, the pagan life, and they say, you know what, the, the morality, the, the, the family structure that exists within the, the Jewish culture, I, I'm drawn to that. I'm, I'm drawn to the Jewish scriptures and the revelation that I, that I find there. I'm, I'm drawn to the, the God of Judaism, but they wouldn't be a Jew. They would still be a Gentile. They wouldn't have been circumcised. They wouldn't have been fully welcomed in the Jewish faith, but they're, they, they fear God. This was how they're described in the book of Acts. And, and look what else it tells us about Cornelius. It says he, uh, he feared God with all his household, and his household there would have been his immediate family and servants and so forth. And it says that he gave alms generously. So he's, a, he's, he's giving to the poor, and he prays continually to God. Now, how, how do you feel about Cornelius, just as you read those verses? I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm drawn to Cornelius, right? He seems like a nice guy. As I read about Cornelius, my heart is, is drawn. I want this guy to become a Christian. I want him to be a part of, of God's story of redemption. He, he seems like a, a wonderful person. He's a person, I, I think, who has benefited from what we call God's common grace. When we talk about God's common grace, we're talking about gifts that God gives to all people. You don't have to have special revelation or, or special grace to receive God's common grace. It's, it's the, the rain that falls on the, the good and the bad, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. It's, it's the enjoyment of friendship. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy friendship. You don't have to be a Christian to, to see the beauty of, of truth and, and the, the joy of, of a family. Like All these things are our common grace. And, and what I believe, what I believe we see is that God places us in, cult, places us in cultures where people often experience the, the benefits of common grace. And it, it gives us the ability to, to relate to them and to, to talk with them about spiritual things. God's salvation re requires the existence of common grace, of people being able to, to respond to truth and see truth and see beauty. And, and, and conversely, sometimes the benefit of common grace is that, that people can see the lack of, of good and truth in a culture. Uh, we live in a culture that is actively rejecting common grace, right? It's rejecting the beauty of, of friendship as we isolate ourselves in a digital world. It's rejecting the, the God's common grace of community. It's rejecting God's common grace of, of uh, the, the family. Now, is Cornelius saved at this point? I think the clear answer of the text is, is no. 
He seems to honestly, again, by God's grace, desire to worship the true God, but, but God is working to provide people in Cornelius' life who are going to allow him to, to, to find the true God as God draws him. Common grace is not enough to, to save Cornelius. This has to be seen very clearly. I, and I think the text is trying to do two things here. One, it's, cause, it's trying to cause us to be drawn to Cornelius as we see the, the, the beauty of, of a guy like Cornelius, but also to help us understand that Cornelius' current revelation is, is not sufficient for him to be saved. If God doesn't intervene in Cornelius' story, Cornelius is not saved. How does this help you and me? How does this help you and you? How do we apply this? Look, common grace tells us that there are very sweet and kind people around us who are on their way to hell. And God's common grace means that, that my heart is drawn toward them and their hearts can be drawn toward me. And it means that I have the ability to offer true community. I, I can use common grace to develop relationships with, with, with my children. And you know, from a very early age, I prayed that my children would understand love and understand God's, the idea of forgiveness and the idea of, of relationship. And that God would use that common grace that even an unsaved person can understand to, to draw them to himself. I pray that in my relationships with unbelievers, that friendship and, and community would be something that God uses to help them understand their, their need for something greater. We live in a world of common grace, and that's a powerful evangelistic tool. Here's the fifth thing I want us to see. Cornelius' salvation and your friends requires something more. It requires special revelation. Look, look what happens next. Here in the book of Acts, Special revelation often incurs God's divine intervention. Now we have his word. But even here, Cornelius has had God's special revelation of, of the Old Testament scriptures, which Cornelius would have had access to through the synagogue. Cornelius needs to know the gospel. He needs God's special revelation. And so what happens? It says it's about the ninth hour, so that would have been about 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And what happens? Cornelius encounters this, in this vision, an angel of the Lord, an angel of God. He's obviously terrified. The angel says, Cornelius, and he says, what is it? And the messenger from God says, look at your text, verse 4. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So, in other words, God is mindful of, of what you're doing, and now, he says in verse 5, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a, a, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Cornelius needs to hear the gospel. His heart, I, I believe, God is drawing Cornelius' heart to himself. And Cornelius, ironically, even though he's not a Jew, he is far closer to God than many of the Jews at this, this time period because his heart is being drawn toward the one true God. But again, He's not saved. He needs to hear a special message. 
Paul later in the book of Acts will tell us that there was a, a time of ignorance, and now these times of ignorance are being overlooked, and now we need to know the name of Jesus. Cornelius, despite how nice he is, despite the good things that he's doing, he needs to hear the name of Jesus, and God in his divine kindness and grace is going to allow Cornelius to hear and believe the name Jesus. Peter is in Joppa, Cornelius is in Caesarea, they're about 30 miles apart, they're on the coast, and so he sends messengers, uh, two messengers and a, and a soldier to Joppa, and that's where we find Peter. Look at Peter, verse 9. Uh, Peter's praying, he's hungry, it's around noon as the guys are on the way to see him, and, and he has a vision, and his vision, a sheet it descends from heaven, and on that, that sheet are all sorts of unclean animals that the Jews have been told that they couldn't eat, and he's told to, to rise, to kill, and to eat. And Peter says, I, I, I can't do that. Uh, these are animals I've been prohibited from eating, and even if even I could eat those animals, I have to prepare them in a, a certain way that it be ritually prepared before I can consume them. And, and what does God say? There's as Peter re- refuses, God rebukes him. And he says, what God has made clean, don't call common. Now, what, what, what is the purpose of this vision? What, what is God doing here? He's preparing Peter to understand the story of redemption again. To, to remind him of, of God's plan of redemption and to let him know, look, here's, here's where you are in the story. Here's where you are in the story of redemption. What was the purpose? Remember when we talked about this? What was the purpose of the regulations concerning what animals Jews could and couldn't eat? It wasn't ultimately about the animals. Praise the Lord because I'm hungry right now to Bacon sounds wonderful, right? Well, not for all, whatever. Leviticus tells us this. Leviticus tells us why God had these regulations. God says, I've said to you, you shall inherit their land. I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am I'm Yahweh. I'm the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples, separated you from the peoples, Jews, Gentiles. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, the unclean bird from the clean, unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, for I have set you apart to to hold unclean. I've set these things apart for you to hold these things unclean. You, You shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. This was a picture. This was a picture of of God's people being separate for for worship of him. And as the people who were not worshipers of God saw their separation, say, okay, there's something different about these people. I desire to live this way. And so they would become a part of God's people and they would separate themselves as well. Now what has happened? All these things were to point to Jesus. Remember, we talked about this. All these things were, were to point to Jesus. And now, where are we in the story? So that was, that was back then. Now we're in this part of the story where Jesus has come. There's now no more 
clean and unclean people. All things have been fulfilled in Christ. And now we enter into relationship through knowing the name of Jesus. And so what he's saying is, look, Peter, Gentiles don't have to become something else for them to become part of my people. All there's, there's no longer a requirement for, for the people of God to, to eat these ways. This is about food or people. It's about the people. Christ has come. There's no need for these food regulations, and there's no separation of the people. Peter doesn't yet have the compassion for Cornelius that he needs to have. This is going to come, but, but at, at this point, love doesn't compel him to share the gospel. Next week, we're going to see him stand right in front of Cornelius and him say, why am I here? Why am I here? He doesn't get it. And that brings us to the last thing I want us to to meditate on this morning as we think about this text. Cornelius' salvation and your friends requires a messenger. For Cornelius to be saved, he needs to hear the gospel. Now, does this contradict the first point about God being sovereign over this? Absolutely not. But what does Paul tell us in Romans 10? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Brothers and sisters, our desire at Bethany Community Church is for us to be a church full of people with beautiful feet as we proclaim the gospel. Here's how... Max Stiles in the book that we're passing out next week defines evangelism. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Evangelism, that, that message, we talked about this two weeks ago, evangelism is, is teaching, heralding, proclaiming, preaching. The gospel, that message from God that saves, leads us to salvation. With the, with the aim, that's the hope, it's the desire, it's the goal of persuasion. And that is for people to respond to it, to, to be convicted and converted. That's our desire. And God here in, in this story intervenes because evangelism is, is so crucial. And, and as we go through the story in the weeks to come, we're going to see how Peter grasps the, the nature of evangelism. And then we're going to see how the church grasps the nature of missions as we, we proclaim the gospel. And, and my prayer this morning is that, that those of us right now this morning who we've lost the thread, we, don't, we forgot why God put us here, that we would be reminded and exhorted and encouraged and joyfully convicted. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the story. Brothers and sisters, We've lost the story. So often we've lost the story of our life. We think, oh, God's placed me here to, to advance in my workplace. God's placed me here to just be a, 
the, the perfect dad or mom or, 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 or son or uh, to, to have this, this bank account or God's placed me here so that I can enjoy this success in sports or academics. Hey, those things may come. That's not the story. That, 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 that's not the story. This morning, I received a, a text from a friend. We, we prayed for them. We, we prayed for someone working in the same area earlier. Doug, Doug, Doug prayed for them as, uh, during our, our time of prayer. I received a message from this worker in this country. It's, it's the anniversary this week of, of three of our brothers in Christ who were martyred for their faith, I believe it was 12 years ago. And this per, these people worked with them and, and just sharing, reminding us of, of that story. Three, three brothers in Christ whose, whose throats were slit because they were followers of Christ. That's the cost of missions. Sometimes it's the cost of evangelism. But that's the story. God, God has placed you where he has placed you so that you can take the beauty of the story of redemption and share it. And we don't worry about the cost. We, we don't worry about, well, what's going to happen here? And we, we pray for boldness because we know that's why we're here. That's why God has placed us where he's placed us. That's why God has allowed Bethany Community Church to be in this place where we are because that's our goal, to proclaim the story of redemption, to bring others by God's grace into worship of him, and to allow us to prepare one another by God's grace to worship God forever. God's story is beautiful, and the beauty of, the beauty of God's plan, a story to welcome worshipers, compels us to evangelize. Let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion here. Father, we recognize your great story. We recognize our, our place in it. And Father, as we prepare our, our hearts to partake in your Lord's Supper, we, we rejoice in the story of the cross and the story of your son, Jesus. We pray that we would glorify you in all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen going to invite you to begin to prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper as we take the bread. As we think about this, here's what I'd like you to, to be meditating on. I want you to ask yourself, why has God placed me where he has, and do I have the desire to see more people worshiping God here at Bethany Community Church or, or some other local church in the area? Do, do, I, do I have that desire to see more people who God has appointed to eternal life worshiping him? And I want us to, to partake of the Lord's Supper. And, and as we just kind of bow our, bow our heads and, and quiet our hearts before the Lord, ask that God would put the names of people in, in your mind who are not yet worshipers of God that, that perhaps he would draw to himself to also be partakers of the body, the blood of our Lord Jesus. Let me just ask you to take a moment now and consider that. Pray with me with God, to, to God. Father, we are 
bringing ourselves to you this morning with a desire to see more people worship you, not for the glory of our name, but but because your name is so great, we want more people to recognize and, and worship it. We partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, recognizing our, our part in, in your story and only recognizing that by your grace, Lord, bring more people into our church through evangelism who would partake of your supper with us, being united with your son, Jesus, through faith in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Same way, after supper, or excuse me, Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you'd prepare to partake of the cup with me, the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. So we proclaim the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. And Father, our hope and our faith is in you. It's in your son Jesus alone. Please continue to, to save us by by conforming us to the image of your Son, Jesus, sanctifying us, and help us do this by your grace, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.